Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Hope. Really glad you're here. Special welcome to everybody who's watching this sermon live via video right now, uh, wherever you might be in Ames or Ankeny and our Des Moines campus or Johnston Grimes or Waukee uh, or here in West Des Moines. Uh, we're really glad you're here. A special shout out to our local site in Forest City, too. It's been a long time since I said hello to you, so hello. Uh, really glad that you guys are along for the ride as well. We. My wife and I, Sally, had the honor of representing you on Friday at Billy Graham's funeral in Charlotte, and to be there was surreal and inspiring, one of the most inspiring uh, days of my life, uh, and that's no exaggeration. So on the plane ride home, and on the plane ride home, first of all, we were like four hours late getting out of Charlotte and connecting to, uh, uh, from Charlotte to St. Louis and then St. Louis and switching airlines and going to the one that my wife works for, which is far superior, and then going to Des Moines. Um, but getting from Charlotte to St. Louis turned out to be a real challenge uh, because of all the different things that were going on that day. Air Force One, Air Force Two came in and it, and it backed things up and kind of made a mess of this big hub uh, for one of the world's biggest airlines. And, so everything was delayed, everything was behind, and while I was sitting there, I said to my wife, I said, I don't think I can preach the sermon that I wrote uh, for this weekend, and the reason is because of what we just experienced that day. So I did something that I don't normally do, which is I started writing the sermon on Friday night on the airplane ride home, uh, continued through yesterday, which is a nerve-wracking uh, experience for me. I, I don't know how it feels to you. But I'm not standing up here winging it. Uh, I, I, I don't get up here and just sort of like, well, here's what's on my mind, you know, uh, right now. Uh, normally, I start writing the Sunday before, after the services. Uh, that evening, I'll get going into the text. And by Thursday, at the latest, I'll have four or five days to, to dive into the exegesis and the hermeneutics and the study and build a, a pretty solid 90% done outline and then Friday and Saturday, it's the 10% um, just to polish it up, hopefully, and get it ready to preach. So starting from scratch on Friday night is, is nerve-wracking. So this sermon is more raw than normal. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, that'd probably sound normal. Uh, more, 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 much more unpolished uh, than normal. But I just want to share with you what we got to see. Because, again, we were honored to represent you and, uh, as your eyes and your ears. And I want you to... Be able to hear and see some things that hopefully uh, you'll be able to get a sense for that at least. And I want you to get a, a sense for some things that happened behind the scenes that were so inspiring. I, I think the service itself, I don't know how it played on cable news or on live stream or if you happened to watch it on Friday, if you were available to watch it on Friday, uh, to get away from work or school for a little while to see parts of it or you saw news highlights of it later. Uh, video never totally captures the spirit that's in the room or in this case, that was under this tent, this revival tent at the Billy Graham Library. And so I don't know how it came across, but I can tell you sitting there, it was overwhelming. <laughs> um, <laughs> to the point where talking about it two days later, it still um, moves me, and uh, words start to like get swallowed and just disappear uh, in, into my throat. It was overwhelming. Uh, if you're sitting in the tent, <laughs> As the, whew, as the bagpipes moved through the whole tent and then picked up the casket of Billy Graham and his family and they processed out, it's a pretty good long walk from the tent to um, the library where they were all walking. 
and the sound of the bagpipes just con- playing Amazing Grace uh, just continued to fade and just continued to dissipate uh, as it moved forward until it finally ended. It was moving. It was uh, an inspiring experience. And here's the thing, you know, you've got dignitaries from all over the world, members of royal families from different countries, uh, the president and the first lady are there, the vice president and his wife, members of Congress from both parties, uh, people who fight with each other all day long every day or sitting next to each other worshiping the Lord together. But what really uh, was wonderful, it didn't surprise me because this is Billy Graham, this is what we try to do. We've learned a lot from him. Uh, and we've learned a lot too about um, not pretending to be perfect and needing to rely on God's mercy, that we don't always get it right, even when it comes to these things. But this is Iowa, so we have caucuses every four years and presidential candidates come through town and this is the biggest church in Iowa, so they want to come here and they want to speak. And they want to address the crowds, and we always say, you can come. We invite you to, everybody's welcome. This is public space. We want you to come and worship, but you don't get a microphone. Uh, You're here just to worship the Lord together, because with all due respect to the importance of political power and influence and and the important decisions that those leaders of the world have to make, very, very important. Don't mean to minimize that at all. It pales in comparison to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't want anything to get in the way of that. We don't want anything to become primary over the proclamation of God's word. No matter how important the issues are or the politics are, we don't want those things to take primary position over the gospel. And so here's what happened. We're sitting there at this service, and in the midst of all the things that are going on and all the the most powerful people in the world are gathering together uh, politically and royalty and kings and queens and, and princes and princesses and they're all sitting there and they came in and, and people would notice but that was it. You ask anybody who was there and they'll say the focus wasn't on them at all. It was sort of like well yep they're here but we are here to do something more. We are here to do something more significant to worship a God who's more powerful and to praise God for the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel that has the power to save your life for eternity. There is no worldly power that can do that for you. There is no government, there is no uh, political movement, there is no cause, There, there, there is no thing that you can campaign for that has the power to save your life for eternity. But it's not just you and Jesus, it's also to save the world, to save anybody, to save any soul in this world. In the program, and if you want to, feel free to come up and and take a look at these uh, after the service. I I brought them here so you could see. Uh, Billy Graham says in the program, so this must have been an important quote to him, my message has always been the gospel of Christ. It's not a Western religion, nor is it a message of one culture or political system. It is a message of life and hope for all the world. It is not about some sort of worldly thing. It is not about a a Western religion, an American religion. I'm fond of saying, so I apologize because a lot of you have heard this before, but it's not being born into a Christian family that makes you a Christian. Any more than being born in a McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. You you become a Christian because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because you, at some point along the way, open your heart 
to believe it and receive it, to, to take it in. That's the gospel. That's the power of God's love being poured out for you that has the power to save your life forever. And so Billy Graham here is saying, with all due respect to all these other things, Christianity isn't just an American religion or a Western religion. It isn't just a message of a particular culture in this world or political system. And oh, did that shine through at this service. There are people from all over the world, from all over the world, from Korea and India. These are just the people who spoke at the service from Korea and India and the Middle East who are one in Jesus Christ. And coming together, this is not an American religion or a, a particular culture or, or, or just for, for a left wing or a right wing or Democrats or Republicans. It's for both and for everything in between. And when we lose that, we lose the significance and the power of the gospel. We reduce it and we minimize it and it becomes something less than it really is. But Christians play that game a lot in this country today. That it's really all about just using Christianity to move forward on something bigger. To, to, to use it to, to, to bring Christians together so that we can push forward some cause. Or we can push forward some, some, some politician or so that we can get somebody elected. But that's not the point. The point of Christianity is bigger and it's more all-encompassing and it lasts longer than that. It's eternal. The eternal life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ is the message it's always been the gospel, Billy Graham says. So I want to share with you, here's where the sermon gets a little bit raw and unpolished. I want to share with you a little bit of the experiences that Sally and I had there. I want, to, I want to boil it down. There's no way I could do this in one sermon. There are hundreds of things that happened that I would love to share with you. But here are the top three. Here are three things that happened behind the scenes that even if you watch the whole service from start to finish on cable news or on PBS or, or on live stream or wherever you did, uh, if you were able to do it, you wouldn't have seen. But made such a deep impression on me, <laughs> I, get, I, I can't even finish sentences when I think about it. it it's so overwhelming, just spiritually and emotionally. I, I want to be your eyes and ears just a little bit and, and give you a glimpse of, uh, of some of what I saw. Some of it's really deep and important and significant. Some of it's equally important but kind of silly and fun. So come with me uh, back to Charlotte two days ago, and I want to I give you a tour uh, of our day and what we got to see. Not because I want you to focus on me, because I wanted to point you to the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's where all this is going. First, top inspiring moment uh, behind the scenes was we started out early on Friday morning. <laughs> the Billy Graham uh, invitation came from the Billy Graham Association, and that was a big surprise to us. Because this is like, in addition to these world leader types, there are all of these Christian leaders uh, from around the globe who are gathering in Charlotte. And I felt like a bat boy at an all-star game. It's like, whoa, I've read your book. And I've read your book. I've seen you. Know, wow, you're, you're awesome, man. I've got to pick your brain for a while. This is incredible. And so everywhere you look, you, you, there are a lot of people I didn't recognize, but one out of every five or so I did. And I'm like, whoa, it's you in person. Joel Osteen is much smaller in person than he looks on TV. <laughs> and he looks older in person, too. But that, I, that's just a, for fun, kind, nice guy, very, very warm. Uh, had a nice chat with him. Victoria, his wife, loves my wife's eyes. So, oh, your eyes are so beautiful. And then they talk. I don't know how women do that, but they just talk about how they like each other's eyes, you know, and stuff, and get into this whole conversation. 
It was surreal. I mean, it was just absolutely surreal. <laughs> Sorry. No, people are going to be like walking up to my wife. <laughs> Ooh, she does have pretty eyes, and she does. They're gorgeous. But so, oh, they just put you on the screen, I guess. So, come on up here, honey. <laughs> it's time to take an offering. Cry. You know, they give us. We don't do that here. Some of the people at this funeral do, though, so that was really interesting. We, uh, we were blown away by this, but it started early, so we got the invitation, and again, I'm still not quite sure how, but we got this invitation, and on it it said, make sure you show up at 7 a.m. for a 12 noon funeral service. I like that. We're going to institute a new policy here at Hope. <laughs> Five hours before the service, if you don't mind, we'd like you to show up and just kind of start mingling and hanging out. Uh, security was really high. They closed the Billy Graham freeway. <laughs> this kind of gives you a sense for how big of a deal he is. They have a freeway named after him in Charlotte. And it's really in a kind of a vital one. The night before, we were out for dinner with our son and his fiance. Our son lives in Charlotte. And so we were hanging out and talking to people and everybody was buzzing around us and we were talking to our server about it, about how tomorrow's going to be terrible traffic because the freeway's closing uh, for this funeral for security purposes and, and so everyone's going to have to get up an hour or two earlier and here's the thing, nobody was complaining about it. Everyone's like, well, it's for Billy Graham though, North Carolina's favorite son, so this is just how we roll here. Thought that was fascinating, but that's not the first insight. It was that we didn't get invited to show up at the Billy Graham Library, which TripAdvisor calls the number one tourist attraction in Charlotte. It's awesome. If you're ever there, you really should go. But it said, go instead to uh, Samaritan's Purse, the Billy Graham Outreach Center, which is part of their evangelistic association. Here's just my really bad... Uh, Tele, you know, uh, mobile phone, smartphone uh, shots from within there. Because we got there, it was all highly organized, very friendly, hundreds of volunteers there to welcome us and to get us onto the shuttle buses for the 20 to 30 minute ride to the Billy Graham Library for the, for the funeral. And here's a sense of kind of the line right behind us and people looking around. It's this massive building and it's all for missions. It's probably three times bigger than our worship center here in West Des Moines. And if you're watching uh, from another campus and you've ever been here before, I mean, this is a pretty big room. It, it, multiply that by three and you get a sense for this room. This is Samaritan's Purse. It's the outreach wing of the Billy Graham Ministries. And it is, um, it's something that we connect with through our youth and family ministries here at Hope. And they do Operation Christmas Child. So all the donations that we do every year for Operation Christmas Child come here to this building and then they get distributed around the world. It's a massive operation. Which reminded me and all of these people who came from all over the world to get to the funeral that had to go through the line and we all had to go through the same line. Beth Moore was in the bus like right in front of us. So I mean we're, we're all going through the same line. And we're there, and what struck me was, this is who we are as Christians. This is who we are and what we're called to do. This is our identity, and this is our mission. And we should never forget that or take that for granted. 
Jesus puts it this way at the beginning of our Bible reading for today in Matthew chapter 9. Well, Matthew puts it this way describing Jesus' heart. It says, when he, meaning Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Everyone say compassion. compassion. And what Matthew's describing here, we can read in the context of the rest of Matthew chapter 9, is people who were lost, people who were sick, people who were broken, people who were wandering through life, people who were struggling. And what Matthew wants to make sure we catch here is that Jesus had a heart for these people, had compassion in his heart for these people. So I want you to consider the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ in his heart, and let's say that word at every campus, let's say that word compassion again together, compassion. Think about the weight, the significance of God's love and that compassion that pours out through Jesus Christ. When he sees people who are hurting, he doesn't look at them and judge them. He doesn't say, well, you brought this on yourself. You don't lead with that at all. He doesn't say, oh, shame on you. What did you do to get here? What's your problem? He didn't go through a whole kind of justification of why I don't have to help you because, because I'm over here and you're over there. He didn't feel superior. He didn't feel like, well, I'm winning and you're losing. No, he had compassion on them. And here's why this matters to the church in terms of who we are and what we're called to do, our identity and mission. We belong to Jesus Christ. The Bible says you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You and me, we are the heart of Jesus Christ in the world today. And if Jesus had compassion on people who are broken and hurting, we don't have a choice. And if your heart isn't filled with love and compassion for people who are hurting in the world around you, ask God to change your heart. Ask him right now. Say, God, give me a new heart. Give me a warm heart. Change my heart for people who are hurting in the world around me. This is not an option for Christians. It's who we are. And I believe, I really do, that they had us, the Billy Graham people had us go through the Samaritan Center because they wanted to remind us. They had all these church leaders from all over the world had to go through and go, oh, that's right. We aren't just here just to preach. We aren't just here to play church. We aren't here just to sing hymns. We aren't here just to dress up and gather together. We aren't here just for this. We're here to serve. We're here to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We're here to be the church in the world today, to have compassion that inspires action. We are on this run with Jesus Christ. That's the name of our sermon series during Lent. And we've been hitting this all along. You can't miss it if you read the Gospels. To follow Jesus means to move, to act, to activate our faith, to have compassion in our hearts that leads to action. Which is why, among other things, we are raising funds to try to buy a house for Ruth Harbor. Because when we see as the body of Christ, if we're aligned with Jesus Christ, what we see when we see young women who are unwed and facing an unplanned pregnancy and all of the stresses that go with that, instead of pointing a finger of judgment at them, we start with compassion. And we say, we want to help you. We want to be the body of Christ for you. We want to provide a home for you that's life-giving for you and provides for you an actual real choice so that you can bring this child into the world and we can help instead of just protesting and getting angry at you. We want to have the heart of Jesus Christ. We want to have compassion for the world around us. I don't think it's any accident that we had to come through this center, this mission center, this outreach center on the way to the funeral. Then we get on the buses and they take us to the funeral and that's the first thing that leads to the second thing. 
Told you it's a little raw and unpolished, so that's my transition. First thing that leads to the second thing. <laughs> we get in the bus and we drive to the Billy Graham Library and we get dropped off and we get out and I thought, oh wow, we're gonna have four, it was eight o'clock now, four hours before the service started. And I thought, we're gonna, they're gonna have all sorts of activities for us. We'll probably be able to get uh, tours of the Billy Graham uh, Library, which is basically a museum. Th this number one tourist attraction in Charlotte. It's gonna be great, we can do all these things that, that, that it's, gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. We got there, and there was a tent, and there were two tables with water bottles and like Fig Newtons or something on them, little packages, and that was it. And I thought, what are we gonna do for four hours? We're just gonna stand here for four hours before the service starts and eat Fig Newtons <laughs> and drink water. And I thought, I'm so glad I'm a Lutheran. I don't even drink coffee, but where's the coffee? <laughs> they didn't even have coffee. And so we were like, what? Didn't have coffee. Turn to the person next to you, whatever campus you're at, and say, I'm glad we're Lutherans, honey. And I'm glad we're, I'm glad that we have coffee. It's like the third sacrament for us. <laughs> this is four hours, no meals, no breakfast, no lunch, no brunch. What are we supposed to do? What are all of these leaders of churches from all over the world supposed to do for four hours when there's nothing to do? Well, we're going to get to know each other. We're either going to sit there like isolated little, you know, scary people or we're going to mingle and we're going to roam around for four hours and meet. There, there were less people at this funeral than there are in this room right now by about 500. We're going to go around in four hours. You could probably get to know each other pretty well. So for four hours, we're walking around. Here's Sally with Beth Moore, who also liked her eyes. Sorry, honey. I just kind of throw that in. Everyone seems to like your eyes. So in their time, Beth Moore leads a lot of our Bible studies here at Hope. At several of our campuses, we show her videos. She is an incredibly gifted Bible teacher. For our women's ministry, some of our most popular Bible studies we have are led by Beth Moore via video. And she was the kindest, sweetest. Her and she and Sally talked and talked and talked. And I just, I just had to walk away after. I'm like, I, I can't even. I don't even get it. So I'm going to go and walk around. And then this guy comes up to Sally and me, not five minutes later, and he ends up talking to us for 20 or 30 minutes. You may not recognize him. This is Timothy Dolan. He's the cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church in New York City. <laughs> Sally didn't know, and she goes, "Where do you live?" <laughs> He said, well, uh, I live in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan. That's, that's where I live. I love my wife. You're the best. It was, you know, but, but it didn't bother him at all because he's a humble man who wears like seven robes all at the same time and pulls it off. There's a big cross that he wears around his, his, uh, his neck too. And he comes up to me, to Sally and me, and he says, because we were standing in the sun talking to somebody else and he, he interrupts, he says, do you think it's warmer where you're standing here in the sun? Because I'm freezing. <laughs> and I said, yeah, come on over. And then we started talking, he's, he's like a comedian. He looks at me, he goes, would it kill him to have some coffee around here? <laughs> Currently Catholics and Lutherans share that in common, I don't know. 
Those of you who grew up Catholic, you can fill me in. I don't know. And then he's talking, and he goes, and later on, he said, once he realized he could trust me, although I'm going to share it with you now, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he'd mind, because he's this kind of guy. Very gregarious, very outgoing, very extroverted, that's for sure. Most of the people, by the way, megachurch senior pastors, introverts. I, I test that way, too, a couple of steps, but it's kind of in the middle, leans toward introversion. Talk to Andy Stanley for five minutes. He's a very shy human being. He's the great, one of the great communicators of Christianity in America today. He has a hard time putting two sentences together, like one-on-one. -on -one, just, I was like, oh, wow, you're Andy Stanley. He, by the way, is much taller than he looks on TV as opposed to Joel, but that's a whole other thing. So Bishop, or Cardinal, sorry, Cardinal Dolan yeah, leans over to me, he says, he says, if I don't get some, something hot to drink pretty soon, I'm going to have to order a Bloody Mary. <laughs> How can you make this stuff up? <laughs> this was so fun. Hanging out with all these people. I'm just, I'm just everywhere you go, it's like, oh, I know who you are. I know who you are. And he found out I was a Lutheran pastor from Iowa, and then he goes, how do you think a couple of people like us got invited to this thing? <laughs> I said, well, you're like the president of the cardinals in the North America. I know how you got invited, and I don't know how I did, but here, here you are. If there's an American who might ever become pope right now, it would be him someday. And he's just this guy. Later, he ended up sitting across the aisle from us in a few rows back, I did just humble brag, didn't I? I was sitting in front of the cardinal. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry. But he was sitting a few rows back and across the aisle, and, and so he saw us coming in, and he taps me on the shoulder, and, and that's when I finally said, hey, let's just get a picture, and he goes, <laughs> I don't know if I should probably say all this now that I'm saying it, but he, 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 he was just amazing about the whole thing. I chose not to say the last thing he said, so I'm going to move on. Um, but it was really funny. Before that, Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, the number two best-selling book of all time next to the Bible. He's there, and he's bored, so he, and he's very extroverted. Walks right up to me and says, who are you? He said, I'm Mike, this is my wife Sally. We're, I'm a Lutheran pastor from Des Moines. Oh, Des Moines, that's awesome. I will tell you one more thing the Cardinal said. He said, you're from Iowa. Can't you get a barbecue pork sandwich or something out here? But <laughs> apparently he likes to think about what he's going to eat and drink. But Rick, Rick Warren uh, comes up to me and he says, uh, so uh, who are you? And I, I said, Rick, I, I just want to say thank you. Rick Warren's Baptist. I'm Lutheran. We do not agree theologically on everything. But he's pointed a lot of people to the eternal life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ with that book. He saved, God has saved lives through that book. And so I said, thank you. I just want to say, I mean, if I get an opportunity, I always said I want to say thank you to these people. Thank you for the blessing you've been to so many people in the flock at Lutheran Church of Hope, the people that I'm privileged to pastor. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm not making this up. You cannot make this stuff up. Give me a hug. <laughs> and he's a big man. I mean, he, I'm tall, but he's big. You know what I'm saying? And he gives me this Papa Bear bear hug and just, it just envelops me into it. It was a purpose-driven bear hug is what it was. 
And then he says to Sally, how long has he been a pastor there in, in Des Moines? And Sally said, it'll be 25 years this summer. <laughs> Whew, that goes fast. He goes, 25 years, fist bump, buddy, fist bump. <laughs> he goes, longevity is really important in ministry. Because you can do a lot after you've been there for a long time. I found that to be true. God can do a lot through all of us. And what we realized, I think, I did for sure, hanging out with all these people over four hours. Here's uh, Lee Strobel, getting into a conversation with him about the Cubs. He's a Cubs fan. That went well. Uh, here's uh, Kathy Lee. <laughs> I don't think I say anything about that. And then, then there's, it was great. She was very kind. And then there's, um, there's famous singers, Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, talking to them, all very kind. And we realize, even though we have all these distinctions, the Jesus who unites us is far greater than those things that would divide us. But here's the problem, church. In this culture today, the game is to focus on the 5% that we disagree on, isn't it? And make that the only thing, like it's the only thing. It's not even just the main thing, it's like it's the only thing. Well, we don't agree on that theology. We wouldn't express it that way. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do it like that. Not like the Pentecostals over there. Not like the Baptists. Not like the Lutherans. Not like the Catholics. Not like the Presbyterians. Not like the Episcopalians. Not like the non-denominational folks. Not like them. We wouldn't do it like that. And then that's all we talk about. And we play the world's game. I honestly believe they had to show up four hours early with nothing to do because they wanted us to get to know each other. They wanted to bring the church of Jesus Christ together. And they wanted us to realize what at least I did, and I think a lot of other people did too, that Jesus who unites us is far greater than that which divides us. And this is not me saying, so we're going to become a Roman Catholic parish or that we're going to become a Southern Baptist church. We're not. We're Lutheran and proud of it. But those are distinctives. Those are, that just makes us a little bit of a different branch that's connected to the same vine. Jesus Christ says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And those different branches make the tree way better, way stronger, way, way more able to reach more birds and give them more shade. So praise God for the Pentecostal branches and the Baptist branches and the Presbyterian branches and the Roman Catholic branches and the Lutheran branches. We're better together. And I think they did it on purpose so that we couldn't miss it. I mean, it's an experiment. We could have like started a, a war and started like beating each other up, but None of that happened. Because what we found was underneath it all, even when we disagree with each other, there are compassionate hearts here. There are people who care about the gospel of Jesus Christ and getting that good news out to the world around us. Jesus put it this way. Some of his disciples came up to him, and it's in Luke chapter 9, and the story is told, and they said, hey, Jesus, we did a great thing. We saw some people who were doing some ministry in your name, but they weren't in our group, so we told them to stop. Isn't that great, Jesus? They were healing people and doing great miraculous things in your name, but they don't do it our way. They don't do it the Lutheran way, or they don't do it whatever way is more comfortable for you. And so we told them to stop. We told them, ah, you're not doing it like the way we do it, and so we're different. 
Jesus rebukes them and responds, look, anyone who's not against you is for you. Later on, a heartfelt prayer at the end of his ministry, the night before he's crucified, Jesus prays. It's recorded in John 17. Father in heaven, my prayer is that my followers would be one. And I don't think by that he meant that we would all agree on the the finer uh, theological splitting of hairs in the details and the doctrines and the way we express our faith. We don't have to dismiss the iron sharpens iron debates in order to understand and celebrate our unity in Jesus Christ. But we are one in Jesus Christ. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Not Pastor Mike says, Jesus Christ says. My prayer is that they would be one. So I'm telling you folks, as members and and as worshipers at the largest church in Iowa, we have a responsibility. We can set a tone. And that tone will either be, well, this is what we do and you don't, so therefore we're better or we've got it right or our theology is better and you're wrong. Or we could lead with our common faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the eternal life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ, the thing that we all celebrate in common. Here's my fear. Here's my worry. I don't know who brings us together other than Billy Graham in the world today. And now he's gone. He's a guy who sat down with popes, civil rights leaders, presidents of both parties consistently over and over and over again. And he didn't always do it right and he apologized for that. I preached on that last week. I'm not saying he's a perfect saint of a man at all, but I'm saying he got this unity thing that just sings through the Gospels. Do you? How do you treat Christians who aren't like your brand of Christianity, who aren't hanging out on the same branch? Do you see the differences first or do you see the thing that draws us together first? The thing that reminds us that we are one in Jesus Christ. I'm concerned because I don't know who else could bring us together, the human being, I know God can, but I don't know. The Cardinal Dolan said this to me, he says, I think Billy Graham's the only reason that all these different people who are usually fighting with each other who are a part of the same tree, the same body of Christ, would come together and celebrate the same Jesus who is the hope of the world and our hope for eternity. We've got to learn to get this one right. That's the second behind-the-scenes thing that hit me. The first is we're on a mission. We're on a Jesus run. We have to activate our faith. The second is that we are called to do church better together. And that we, the, the Jesus who unites us is greater than the things in this world that would divide us. And we have to stop playing those games. Third and finally, and this is the best part, is we're called to be proclaimers of the gospel. Harvest is great, Jesus says in our Bible reading for today, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, who's in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers out into his fields. The harvest is plentiful, it's great. But the workers are few. We, uh, we've got a gospel to share. And I think too often Christianity just becomes all about what we're taking in. I say that a lot. But who are you sharing it with? Throughout this service, that was the whole point. That's why princes and princesses and presidents and vice presidents all just sort of took their seats along with all the rest of us, before a holy God. And we're reminded that there's a power far greater. 
the power, the only power that can bring us to eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Who else and what else can give us that? The harvest is great. There's a lot of people who don't know it, don't believe it, haven't received it. But the workers, this is where you and I come in, are few. During the service, all of the Graham kids got up. And here's what's interesting. The Graham kids don't even agree with each other theologically. The oldest son, Franklin, said some things, and Billy said, well, he said it, not me. That's not the way I'd say it. They don't all agree, but they're one in Jesus Christ, and you could tell they love each other, and that their love for each other is greater than their divisions that are theological or spiritual or church-related. Ann got up, and Billy says Ann is the greatest preacher in the whole bunch of all his kids, and he's right. She's amazing, gifted. The Holy Spirit just puts his hand on her and anoints her, and she goes. Billy Graham's family isn't perfect either. Ruth stood up and said, I made some big mistakes. That was her second divorce, not her first. And she went home and wondered, you know, well, you heard it. And what she got was a hug. And she says, it's not that my dad is God. It's that he showed me what the Heavenly Father's love is like. It's for her and it's for you. It's poured out for you in the sacrament of Holy Communion, which you're about to have an opportunity, an invitation to receive. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. The gospel has to go out. It's proclaimed through Anne. It's proclaimed through Ruth. It's proclaimed through all the kids. It was proclaimed through uh, the Korean translator who stood next to Billy Graham back when Billy Graham spoke it to 1.1 million people in South Korea at the same time and preached the gospel. Well, his translator was there in Charlotte on Friday, and he shared the gospel again and talked about what it was like to stand next to Billy in front of 1.1 million people and translate Billy Graham's English into Korean for all those people to hear the good news. Welcome home. God's love is poured out for you. And it has the power to make your life new and to assure you that your hope in eternal life is well-placed. We worship a God who took on death and destroyed it through the cross and the empty grave. But I said these were behind-the-scenes things. The, the first one is our mission. The second one is unity. And, and the third one, you say, well, we saw all that. Here, here's what you probably, I know you didn't see. While we're sitting in the Charlotte airport on the way home, waiting four hours for our flight, I was checking Twitter. I mean, what else are you going to do for four hours? And God used that. And I ended up happening to find uh, a, an old friend who used to work for the Des Moines Register here as a reporter was assigned to do a story on Hope many years ago and he interviewed me and we kind of bonded and connected. And I gave him this book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, who I mentioned earlier was also at this funeral and he and I, Lee and I were able to talk and enjoy lots of conversations about living in Chicago and the Cubs and all that. Um, and he ended up, Lee and his wife, sitting in our gate they're trying to get to Tulsa, and we're trying to get to St. Louis to get to Des Moines. Anyway, the, my old friend, the reporter from the Register, is tweeting about how he's stuck in the Charlotte airport, too. He wasn't there for the funeral. He's a sports reporter for CBS now, based in the Twin Cities, and he was down south for something and trying to get home to his kids, to his wife and family. And so I sent him a private message. I said, hey, haven't seen you forever. We're here, too. 
Uh, we're in gate B7. Come see us if you get a chance. Ten minutes later, he shows up. He says, hey, Mike and Sally Householder. I'm delayed too. And we sat down. We're talking, sharing, catching up. And he looks at me and he goes, do you remember that book you gave me, that Case for Christ book? That was awesome. That was like a game changer for me. This, this book right here, written by Lee Strobel. He said, I just got goosebumps again, just thinking about it. So you know what's really funny? The guy who wrote Case for Christ is sitting right over there with his wife. He goes, no way! Way! I said, yeah, he's right over there. He's like, don't say anything. I can't go up to him, no way. I mean, he's Lee Strobel. I said, you don't understand. He's like just a Cubs fan. He's Lee Strobel. He's a regular guy. He's like, I can't do it. And so, you know, we parted ways. He left. But I went up to Lee. I said, Lee, that guy I was just talking to, I gave him your book 15 years ago. And it changed his life. And then I said, you're sitting right over there. And he's like, no way! I said, way! God's lining all this stuff up, folks. Will you please hear the invitation? And will you please accept it to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and the world around you? That every conversation you get into, that at least somewhere in your thought process you think, I'm here to represent Jesus Christ. I'm here to be kind, to be compassionate, to be the body of Christ to this person. I'm here as his representative. I'm here to speak to this person the way Jesus would. Down to earth, warm, friendly, kind. And if the opportunity presents itself to invite them, to point them to the gospel, to point them to the good news, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. You are the workers, not just the preachers and teachers of the Bible. You, at work, at school, amongst friends, when you're hanging out, you've been called to activate your faith, to put it into action, to go.